Hi, Rumpers. It's your co-host, Crystal. Um, we had a little bit of audio trouble in the, the latest episode that we recorded. So instead of leaving you hanging, we decided to put together a clip show. Uh, this evening, it's going to be most of the paranormal segments from season one. So that includes Queen Mary Ghost Ship, uh, the General Wayne Inn, Rock of Fortune, or Magic Fucking Rock, as we like to call it. And we're also going to include parts one and two of Missing Time. So I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with a regular episode next time you hear from us. Let's get into it. I am your co-host, Crystal. I'm your other co-host, Robert, and welcome to Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Um, so we're, we're opening tonight with uh, a segment called The Unexplained. Our first ghost episode, Crystal. Are you, are well, you excited? I'm, I was so, so excited that we were finally getting into what I think is like the real uh, meat of unsolved mysteries which you might think is like solving murder cases but for me it's it's crackpot ghost stories and lies about ufos yes and um (laughs) there's yeah so so tonight we're gonna talk about the queen mary which is the ship that launched a thousand ghost hunts Uh, you spent all week thinking of that, didn't you? No, nope, came to me while I was watching the episode. Just, that's how I work, Robbie. It just oh, wow. I, I am so jealous. That <laughs> is better than anything I have. Uh, clearly, clearly it's a good thing you're leading us off on this one. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, about this one because it is, I, I don't know where the legend of the Queen Mary started, and it certainly hasn't ended. Um, you know, it might have been unsolved mystery. I didn't I didn't look into previous television shows or movies or documentaries that had explored the the legend of the Queen Mary as such. So I I'm gonna lead us all to believe that it was unsolved mysteries that really kicked off the interest in the possible hauntings on the Queen Mary. I'm just getting a little background. Of the ship, it's located. It's in um, permanent like cement dock and uh, down here in Long Beach. Um, I was in Long Beach a couple weeks ago, but I didn't. I didn't go to the Queen Mary unfortunately because I have my doggy with me. So I personally have never been there, but I, I know folks that just think it's a, a riot and a good time. They've got a couple of restaurants on the ship. There's a hotel. Uh, it's all fully functioning to this day. So if you ever want to plan a visit, um, you can you can go spend the night on the Queen Mary. Oh wow! Okay, maybe maybe we should do like an episode of the pod from the Queen Mary. You know, um, there's a there's a podcast that uh, I've been listening to for a while, and I'll I'll give them a free shout out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it, it it very much falls in line with some of the things that we talk about. But it's called Ono oh Ross and Carrie. And they go, They their tagline is, we show up so you don't have to. And their whole thing is they go, and they're skeptics, and they go and explore, you know, um, they went and did an overnight on the Queen Mary with a ghost tour. Or they go out to, like, 
a mystery spot in Santa Cruz, or they actually spent eight weeks of episodes infiltrating Scientology. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a really great podcast. You should turn this one off and go listen to Oh No, Ross and Carrie right now. It's really good. Uh, so so they they recently went down down there and they um they did sort of like a live episode where they uh rec- recorded a lot on the ship with this ghost group or ghost hunter group so um i i think there's a sort of a fine line f- for examining this sort of unexplained mystery in that it's very very uh famous but it's also uh something that they probably get a lot of tourism money for folks wanting to come in and do these ghost tours and spend the night and record, uh, you know, do recordings of to listen for EVPs or, you know, disembodied voices, that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, a little, a little more history on the Queen Mary. Um, it was built a long time ago. <laughs> uh, and you are free to go look up the particulars of the size of the ship the year it was built. Anywho, um, it served a term. Uh, I think it was in World War One or World War Two. Was actually uh, was it two? Yep. Uh, where it was not then. I don't. It wasn't painted the bright colors that it's painted today. It was painted all gray, and it looked. I think they just used it as like a transport and cargo ship. It wasn't armed or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, then retired out of military commission. And then used as a passenger ship, and so it was. It was set to sea for 30 years and went back and forth across the ocean. I'm gonna assume the Atlantic Ocean, uh, but maybe it was Pacific. But the Atlantic sounds more reasonable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it went back and forth um, from the United States uh, 1,001 times before it was then. Uh, it's not when you. It's decommissioned. Decommissioned. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you, you got it right before okay. I, was, I... I was... You don't retire a ship, you decommission it, and, and then they put it in a cement dock and turned it into, like, a tourist destination in, in Long Beach. Um, so we, we get two really uh, fun folks that have worked on the Queen Mary sh- sort of sharing their stories with us. Um, we get Carol who is a very sensible woman, even though, you know, she's wearing a lot of blue mascara. She, uh, you know, it's the eighties. What are you going to do? She was a server on the queen Mary for a number of years. Um, and then we get Nancy Ann, who is wearing a very smart blazer. Uh, and she was, I think either a tour guide or some sort of like concierge type person on the ship. Well, I, I remember like Nancy Ann's introduction to us is she's relating the story about, uh, how she was bringing coffee out. And there was a woman who was suddenly sit- seated at a table. Um, yes, where, please, please go on. Wearing like not, what nineteen forties, nineteen forties day dress. Um, and what what actually had me confused about this was like the way Nancy tells the story was she wasn't expecting the woman to be seated out at the table. But the thing was is like. Who was she bringing coffee out for? Because in the reenactment, all the other tables are empty. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that was probably an oversight on the reenactment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> uh, all right, all right, yeah. So we'll let that one slide. Uh, um, she puts puts the coffee down in front of the um, uh, the woman 
who is just staring transfixed ahead. Um, and, you know, seems to be a real person, uh, but, you know, with attire from the past. I don't recall, did, did Nancy mention anything about this broad disappearing when she turned her back or something? Or um, I don't recall. Because, you know, this seems to me like nowadays with so many people getting into, like, historic costuming and steampunk and whatnot, Mm -hmm. it's like this kind of encounter is probably pretty easy to to have, Uh, especially if you have, like, a costumer who's, like, strung out on drugs or something. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know what the security looks like in the 1980s on the Queen Mary. I mean, maybe you just have, like, weirdos coming on and off the ship to have a cup of coffee, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, th- this this struck me as, like, one that theoretically could have been, like, a living person, um, uh, th- this particular encounter. Um, I, I, was, I was a little more amazed by the um, swimming pool encounters. Um, yes, yes. So, um, that was, was that Nancy or Carol that had the swimming pool? You know, at first I thought it was Nancy, but then, like, about three-quarters of the way through this segment, I realized Nancy and Carol were different people, and I had to retroactively so, go... So you notes. understand my confusion. <laughs> yes. keeping, keeping track of these two. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, so one of the things that... And I'll, I'll add in some conjecture here. One of the things that the Queen Mary is really known for is that there are two areas that seem to be really active with sort of strange happenings. One mm. of them is the pool area. So there's a, a you know, fairly large uh, pool on one of the decks of the ship. Um, and it was either Carol or Nancy reports being being down there with someone and hearing like a little girl laughing and splashing in the pool, even though that there was there was no one in the pool, um, and then hearing hearing the laughter continue up out of the pool and seeing a series uh, of wet footprints appear uh, yeah. next to the pool as as if someone who an unseen person was was walking into one of the locker rooms to change. Um, there was also an incident I think it was with Carol where she was on a escalator between decks and they were closing up for the night or for some reason it wasn't expected that any any guests would be present at this point in the evening and this was in shaft alley yes shaft alley that's the that's the (laughs) other spot that's sort of notorious for um for having strange things happen and she so nancy's on the escalator and she kind of got the sense that somebody she'd gotten on it alone and she kind of got the sense suddenly that someone was was behind her and she turns around and she sees a man and the way that this is shot in the reenactment is like this man is too close <laughs> he is too <laughs> close to her uh, he's like his head is like six inches away from her head um and nancy very calmly explains she thought it was like a mechanic on the ship or something like that and um when she gets off the escalator she turns around there's no one behind her so i i thought even the reenactment was was fairly spooky um i I really enjoyed listening to both Carol and Nancy because they seemed like very reasonable people. They didn't really have that crackpot vibe. They didn't seem like they wanted to believe. In fact, I think it's Carol that says, you know, I don't believe in ghosts, but yet 
some strange things have happened that I can't explain. So I, I don't, she's, she realizes her own cognitive dissonance, which is she's a very sensible, rational person, but now she has seen things that she can't rationally explain. Um, so after these stories and many, 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 many more over the years, um, you know, there's been, you know, several deaths just during Queen Mary's term of service that have occurred on board. There's been several babies born. Um, it was in its time, a very active ship. So we get to the really interesting part, which is Unsolved Mysteries decides to spring for some paranormal investigators. <laughs> the, fir- the first ones we've seen so far. So far, yeah. So this is uh, our first run-in. Robbie, yeah. would, do you want to describe well, what, what actually, you're like? Yes. Um, I'm assuming that uh, with uh, Mr. William Pohl, that uh, you also saw that he kind of looks like Richard Dawkins. Uh, ironically, yeah. He well, he was you know, <laughs> very, you know middle-aged uh, British gentleman. Gentleman, um, and then there was uh, Tony Tony Cornell, um, who I didn't um, I didn't really note so much about his appearance, other than he he insisted that he's a skeptic. Um, and I believe he's also the one who who asserted that uh, that um, that what's going on in this in this ship. Is a mystery that's got to be solved. Like, did did you did he strike you as being like really forceful when he said that? Like, yeah, very... no, he was getting down to business for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they they um, <clears throat> and I will I will say this about these these paranormal investigators is having watched many episodes of Unsolved Mysteries in my youth, and you know watching subsequent shows that came after this like sightings and whatnot. And, and just how ridiculous like some of these paranormal investigators are. Um, these these guys seem relatively measured. Uh, like uh, the Paul William, um, he he said that you know at the at the end of this, I'm going to get asked, is this ship haunted with ghosts? And he said, you know, these are questions I can't answer. Which to me seems like a little more intellectually honest than the guys who are just like, oh yeah, this place is supercharged with spirits and so forth. Um, though it was, you know, it, things got a little more questionable when they brought on a team of like six psychics to uh, <laughs> circulate throughout the ship. Um, all of whom claim to know nothing about the ship's history. Um, which I don't know. It's, that's, what? <laughs> Uh, I mean, they they read it when they drove into Long Beach. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, uh, that I was a bit skeptical about that too. Um, and uh, part of this investigation, and what you know, stood out to me a little bit was like they put the the sound recording equipment up uh, up in Shaft Alley, right uh, at the very front of the ship. Yeah, and uh, they sealed it off. Um, uh, for overnight and a little bit more background on this um one of the people that invest uh, that they interview um john smith uh he's reported i don't know like hearing stuff in that part of the ship which it turns out that um was it during the war that uh in in, in its service as a transport it actually collided with a british ship the kurosawa oh that's right yeah it was in a in a fatal right i mean yeah. so 
not only have there been 49 deaths just in, in, in like the ship's existence as a cruise ship, but 300 men were killed in this, this particular incident. So I guess if, if these things are based off location, that, that would probably be the part of the ship where you, you would have the highest concentration. And sure enough, they, they hear stuff on this recording. Um, you know, and, you know, it's, it's definitely like distinctly like noise. I mean, no noise being made. It's not just like really dis, you know, distant, like, vague you know whatever that could just be like this you know feedback sounds coming into the recording machine or whatnot but honestly like when they're listening to the recording i don't know about you but the image that immediately went into my head is that there was like some elderly janitor working on the ship who was told not to go into that section of the ship (laughs) but went in anyway to like fill his mop bucket (laughs) and are you are you picturing the the janitor from the simpsons um is groundskeeper willie no no the the i think i've mashed three simpsons characters into one (laughs) are are you thinking hans moman the the really old guy who uh, yeah, yeah okay um you know i would say that like even if I'm not necessarily that wasn't necessarily who I had pictured physically, mm-hmm. definitely the same sort of personality. Oh, you know who demeanor. I'm thinking of. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm thinking of Scruffy from Futurama. I'm Scruffy, the janitor. I was in the neighborhood. <laughs> I was in the neighborhood, but that's yeah, uh, yeah, that's but... who came to mind um, when you started the... describing this fictional janitor person scruff scruffy's passable too yeah i mean this is this is someone who's just doing trying to get their job done um someone explained to them don't go in there but they didn't really emphasize why so this person's gone in there they're refilling their mop bucket or whatever and there is stuff on the recording that kind of sounds like voices i mean at least i i kind of perceived that but to me that was basically like scruffy supervisor comes along it's like hey you're not supposed to be in here they're doing something in here it's like oh sorry and they 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 probably left at that point um yeah i mean i've i'm i'm so tainted by the amount of like paranormal investigations i've seen on the queen mary specifically and it seems everybody who does recording seems to capture the same thing there's just sort of like ambient ship noises and then maybe some disembodied voices. So one of the things that occurred to me, and maybe they did this, maybe they didn't, but they didn't mention it on the segment, which was just play those noises back to somebody who's on the ship every day, like that works there. Ah. And see like, oh yeah, that's, you know, when the tide comes up, that's the ship creaking or, you know, they, they sound like very run of the mill sort of creaky ship noises to me that. Right don't necessarily need to have like a, a paranormal cause to them but that, just as a as a check like just ask somebody who's there every single day and, and you know obviously not mentioning anything like do you think this this is uh ship sounds or a ghost just be like uh what, what sort of sounds on this ship uh what sort of things on this ship would produce this sound and yeah they'll they'll probably like zero in on it right away yeah so like for example i'll use something from my own life um you know, I just moved into a new apartment, and um, every time I would, you know, 
wash the dishes or take a shower, about five to ten minutes later, I would hear a noise from my kitchen as if somebody was loudly banging around in there. It's Uh, a ghost! Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, somebody's in my apartment. But then I realized it's just my water heater. (laughs) Oh, right, right, refilling the water. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's kind of knocking and pinging (laughs) as if somebody was moving around in the kitchen. And so I imagine anybody who who came over to my apartment that, that heard that sound from another room would be concerned because it is pretty loud. But, you know, it's... If you ask me, it's just my water heater, and it's it's in conjunction with having run the hot water, so it's <laughs> totally explainable. So I just I just I was kind of disappointed they didn't go back and and run the tapes for for someone who worked there, or at least someone who was more experienced with the ship. Um, so I I mean I really uh, this was such a fun episode, like a fun segment. Uh, this is really for me what the show is all about is is kind of entertaining this what if possibility um robert stack ends the segment um with the question is it haunted (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) okay i didn't i didn't uh record that 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 closing uh thing i did make note that in between in the middle of this segment uh and it looks like they have him walking around the actual Queen Mary pole, right? Is that? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, they have him there. And I imagine, you know, if he's doing the interstitial, uh, the footage, as we've theorized before, somewhere around Los Angeles, it'd be pretty easy just to go yeah, shoot the, some roll down on the Queen Mary. Right. And, um, yeah, in, in, in that, uh, in that more like intro segment where he, he discusses, um, that some people believe all locations are haunted, that what happens is like events imprint themselves on that location. Um, you know, he gives it a, and he gives, he presents this in a very serious, convincing manner, mm-hmm. which I'm sure like, <clears throat> uh, if I did see this segment as a kid, would have totally left me convinced that ghosts are real. <laughs> Well, you know, that's the thing. Watching it now is sort of a, a jaded adult. Uh, right. I, I'm not sh- I'm not sure how much I buy the black and white ghost woman who was about to dive into the pool. Uh-huh. Um, like, to me, like, that seems, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that the segment really is more convincing with the, the guy who's just standing behind Carol. Uh, was it Carol? Carol slash Nancy on the uh, escalators. Like, you know, there was, you know, there was no, nothing ghostly about them. They didn't put any production into it, but it was, it was more, uh, it struck me as a little more real. Yeah. Like, and, and it was, I mean, you can only imagine how unsettling that would be. Right. Right. Um, so, so Stack ends the segment by saying, is it haunted and sort of suggesting until we have proof, it, it is both haunted and not haunted <laughs> so i so i was sort of thinking of this as like schrodinger's haunting which is, <laughs> in, until we can say uh, otherwise it's it's both things at the same time so we have to accept both realities which i'm 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 satisfied by that i'll accept that uh, right okay. yeah i mean you know, <laughs> it's 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 a lot more measured a verdict than this show usually gives us on anything it presents yeah so. well we haven't gotten any into any like stigmata or statues of jesus crying pomegranate juice or whatever the hell so (laughs) 
so I, I'm I don't really have anything to, to well, add. How many how many stacks are you giving? This I'm going to give this five stacks because um, uh. the, the reenactments were excellent. Uh, they found witnesses that didn't didn't sound like total schmucks. Uh, you know, it was a really compelling story. It piqued my interest in, in visiting the ship. Um, and also we get a full, full blown paranormal investigation that, that the show hands to us live. It's not a reenactment. They're, they're going there and they're doing the thing. So, um, I'm, yeah, I'm going to give it, I'm giving it five. I'm giving it four. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't find myself scared, which, uh, as you've said, could just be a product of our, our jaded age and looking back on this. But I, I thought, you know, I thought this was this definitely a solid ghost segment. It ends, for me, the best part of, really in some ways, the best part of it is the way it ends with just that empty shot of the Queen Mary corridor um, uh, near the end, which is probably, for me, like, probably the most unsettling part of the whole segment it's just because it, it it just leaves it in, in in your you know thoughts of like what you know what it's like to be on that ship walking down an empty hallway uh you know your mind could really uh you know really put you in the right state yes if, if you've ever encountered anything oh yeah we want queen mary stories for sure so sure. we're we're at reenacted pod on twitter um we also have an email address now you're welcome, America. It's reenactedpod at gmail.com. And if you've visited the Queen Mary and you've seen some spookies, let us know. We'd really like to... Or any ghost stories, really. Yeah. But don't make shit up. I don't, <laughs> I don't want that. I want real. I want real stories. I'm going to jump right into it. Um, the first segment we get in, introduced to by Robert Stack, who I believe uh, is once again in front of the Queen Mary. Another fucking goddamn Queen Mary. <laughs> well, anytime there's a spooky thing now, they probably kept him out there for like an hour and they just recorded all the intros of all like ghost stories uh, in front of the Queen Mary. There's And there's obviously some like PA off camera that's like shooting at him with a fog machine because... <laughs> It's not, I it don't look like that, so. Okay. All right, so um, we open with the General Wayne Inn in Marion, Pennsylvania. Uh, apparently Poe Edgar Allen stayed there, and he wrote The Raven while he was staying there. And then he stayed there nevermore. Uh <laughs> I, I I can't help but notice that you skipped over mentioning that all of our founding fathers who stayed there, I just which is fine. I didn't find that very interesting. I feel like it's one of those things like how we have out west, like Mark Twain stayed here. It's like who gives a shit, you know? Gotcha. Um, Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> I also I just didn't remember that at all, but I because I was so focused on my Poe pun. Um, anyway, <laughs> excellent. Uh, so, so the owner, the general manager that works there, is talking about all kinds of sort of spooky happenings, like he's finding towels thrown all over the kitchen. Hi. Um, does this seem weird? There's been sightings. Uh, there's been some adding machine problems. They don't get into detail of that. But the final straw, goddammit, when they called Unsolved Mysteries, is when there was a funny Cadillac in the parking lot that started on its own. And that, the way they reenact this, they have uh, 
anything that could turn on in a car does all at the same time. With <laughs> windshield wipers. Yeah, windshield wipers, the headlights go on, the horn is honking, uh, the radio comes on, the engine starts, like everything comes on all at once. Uh, apparently no one was in the car, though. It just kind of started. Uh, so as they keep referring to it as the entity, uh, one of the pranks the entity likes to play is to go down the bar the bar line on a busy night and it'll blow on the back of women's necks and there's a really fantastic reenactment of uh uh where there's a you know a line of women sitting at the bar with men standing behind them and then all of them one by one getting totally offended i think one of one of the men gets slapped i don't quite remember Honestly, yeah, no, I I love this segment, but what really amused me was the way that um, Mr. Johnson, the owner, it was, just, you know, they 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 they, they depict him just watching with this amused look on his face as this happens. Um, you know, I mean, like he he fully knows that dozens of men are about to be cu- accused of sexual harassment, yeah, and that they're innocent. Well, it, and it's also that's. It, to have someone blowing on the back of your neck when you're not expecting it is just a super creepy feeling anyway. Um, so we get an interview with Dave Rogers, who's the maitre d', um, and he gives us uh, the intro to one of, I think, is one of the most interesting visuals to ever, that will ever be on Unsolved Mysteries. Um, he's talking about how he's in, I think he's in uh, the walk-in freezer, um, mm. or he's somewhere in the back of the kitchen, and... Uh, he turns around to leave the room and out of the corner of his eye he notices a severed head staring at him on on top of a chest of drawers and so he comes running out of the kitchen screaming i saw a head which i in out of context would make no sense to anybody heard that but um we get again we get the very slow pull-in shot of it's sort of a like a holograph effect yeah, that's that's what it looked like to me. Like you know, some sort of hologram type uh, head uh, that they just swipe over, or whatever the technical term it, term is. Yeah, um, I mean it's 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 spooky, I think, or it's cheesy. I can't decide. It's it's a bit of both, a bit of both. Because my initial thought was like, and I don't think it's necessarily. <clears throat> uh the the effect itself but the the reenactment was just kind of strange because they didn't the the way they filmed it you would think that maybe this um the the this guy portraying dave Dave rogers unless it was dave rogers himself like he, he barely even looks over at where the severed head is and then he just sort of nonchalantly walks out um not quite the the you know uh I mean, so it really left me kind of wondering, like, did he, did he actually see the ghost head? I can't tell. Um, but no, but the effect itself is fine for the era, um, and yes, definitely a mix of cheese and mm. spooky. They spend a lot of time lingering on it too. Yeah, they yeah. Sl- do the slow pull in and linger. Uh, it's the creeper shot. Um, <laughs> All right, so then we get to Alice Glorman, who heard her name being called while she was in the dining room. Uh, And so she went around the corner into the hallway to find a man who was 
apparently in a Revolutionary War uniform. That's what I, I, I was kind of a bit perplexed about when I was seeing it, because I did not see... To me, this did not look like a uniform. I'm, I'm assuming... I mean, this person was holding a musket, so I'm assuming... Yeah, it was, it was like 18th century casual dress, is what it looked yeah, like. Yeah, so this was probably... Maybe it was like a militiaman, or, mm. or a midman, or something. Mm, very possibly. Uh, yeah. So, at this point... We get a we get some local history, which is this specter or the entity had been seen before, one hundred years ago, uh, at the very same inn wearing the very same things. So in eighteen forty eight, during an election, I guess that was the inn was the local polling place. Uh, witnesses described seeing a soldier um, as well. So eighteen forty eight would have been you know. 60 some odd years after the end of the revolutionary war yeah what what i found actually interesting was they mentioned that the witnesses were women like there was a woman supervising the the election site and then like a woman Mm. working went down to get ballots how interesting that they you know they were working the election site but they couldn't vote (laughs) i mean isn't that like such a strange strange notion I guess not. Well, I mean, uh, what what was that letter that Abigail Adams wrote to John Adams? The from was it Seneca Falls? When her and her uh, salon of women argue, yeah, uh, argued that this is when he was uh, when they were drafting the Articles of Confederation. I think mm-hmm. that should they not get a say in the new country that was being formed? So, I mean, I uh, guess they. They got in where they could. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. Uh, Uh, Anyway, political science and history. (laughs) All right, moving on. Uh, So, Michael McKaylin Meyer, help me out here. I'm I'm glad that, like, your, you know, uncertainty saying that name matches the uncertainty clear uncertainty of how i wrote it Mm -hmm. with spaces in between letters Uh, (laughs) but a parapsychologist so we'll we'll say ms mayor uh she's uh she's more than a parapsychologist she's a paranormal investigator but she also introduces herself as a skeptic um and she uses statistical evidence to compare to witness and psychic experiences uh so basically what they describe her doing as without uh, without talking to each other, she will plot within the the general wane in. She'll make a little X where someone had an experience, right? And then after interviewing so many people and then sending in a psychic, she has, you know, we'll call them uh, distribution points of these sightings and overlays them to see if there's any correlation or significance. So, um, so they call in a psychic. So there's your skeptic. Right, she's using some science. Uh, then they call in a psychic. Um, the psychic uh, instinctively goes down into the basement and um, describes there's a presence of a Revolutionary War soldier who's very frightened down there. How would you feel about making a change? We fear change. Um, possibly was in hiding. Possibly died down there. Um... So we we cut to another scene uh, 
where we have i think it's the general manager again the the main guy telling us all the stories uh where everyone is gathered in the general wayne in bar so you know folks that work there and and guests they are all watching the television because the local news had was going to air a story about the hauntings in the general wayne inn so it's sort of like a meta uh, situation to the yeah, story that I, I'm telling. I, I didn't pay close close enough attention at first. So, like the first time watching this for this uh, show, I I thought like that they were just they were just putting on that General Wayne segment just to like have something that they could show on the TV to demonstrate it. But then I rewatched it and I was like, oh, it was they were actually all gathered there to watch a segment about the General Wayne, Wayne Inn while in the General Wayne Inn. Uh, yes. and this is a reenactment of that of, of that viewing of the segment of them watching <laughs> a show about uh, anyway okay don't think yeah. don't, it, it, it goes it goes pretty deep is what i'm saying so yeah. while in the reenactment and while the patrons are watching the segment on the local tv news the tv starts to go wonky so the picture in the screen starts to slowly turn sideways um okay. i think that's that was really the only thing that happened there uh so i'm wondering though because we actually spoiler don't get an update for the story if <laughs> when they sat down to watch this segment of unsolved mysteries <laughs> did did did, did uh, instead of like rotating the there was actually a swipe and the um uh, the general Wayne in was pushed off like the unsolved mysteries episode was pushed off by the previous general Wayne in segment that they had been watching or not. Um, <laughs> uh, <I'm>, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was, <laughs> it was 30 years. I mean, like what would happen if now they were listening to this podcast of the general Wayne in, well, well, we're talking you know, about a show that was reenacting a show. Show, and that was a uh, where they're showing a, a show on TV, and I, you know what I think would probably happen is it would probably open a portal to hell. So <laughs> the general Wayne in, please turn off this podcast immediately if you're well, you don't, you, listening. You don't actually have to worry about that, Crystal, because I did um, about. 67 or so seconds worth of our research. Oh, yes. The General Wayne Inn is no longer an inn. Oh, what is it now? It's actually a synagogue and daycare for a Hasidic Orthodox uh, uh, congregation. That is not what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, um, well, the one thing that we can be pretty sure of is that under no circumstances will this podcast be played at the general Wayne Inn. So we are all safe from some sort of, um, you know, total temporal dimensional conversion paradox. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness. Earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. The explosion. Wait, are you telling me this is an anti-Semitic podcast? No, 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 no. I, I, I'm just saying that anyone with... 
a clear moral compass and ah, uh, some basic human yes. de- decency. I didn't. Is, I didn't. I was. I got afraid for a second that somehow we had created an anti-Semitic <laughs> podcast when we didn't mean to do that. So can yeah. we? Let's get back to the segment. Yes. So, yes. Um, so we're back to the the paranormal investigator, the statistician. And she says after, you know, crunching some numbers that would be too complicated for the common man to understand, she says the analysis indicates that something is worth investigating. <laughs> um, and then and then we we close it with, uh, I think it's either the general manager or the former wait staff saying that they don't believe in ghosts, but they know that that they are here. That sounds, yeah, that uh, that has... That that's a nice illogical um, thing to to end that segment with. It was actually, I believe, it was the owner, uh, Barton Johnson, mm-hmm. who is also the president of the local historical society. Hmm. Which, which, I mean, to me, that's kind of like, I kind of feel like that's maybe a little bit of an indicator that maybe all this ghost stuff. Maybe he did the research, found out some accounts of the ghost stuff, and has just used it to try to, like, bring business to the general Wayne in. I'm not, I'm not saying that's for sure what he did, but I mean, it, it kind of, it just struck me as a possibility. Well, just like the Queen Mary, it kind of seems like a like a puff piece to generate some business. Yeah, like, we've had two only two ghost segments so far, and to me, they've both been, like you said, they're puff pieces. We haven't gotten any of the real hardcore, scary stuff. I mean, this this was a very innocuous segment. Uh, I'm sure if I watched it as a kid, I would not have been scared, because it's just, you know, like, he's like, yeah, the ghosts, they just want to have fun, so they're playing some pranks. Um, I really wanted to get past all of that so we could talk about what really matters at the end of the show. Oh, yes. Which yes. is we have an unexplained segment. It's it's our first, like, miraculous occurrence sort of segment. Uh, and it's about a goddamn rock. Mm-hmm. Boy, is it. <laughs> um, now, Robert Stack tries to pump it up. He, he, he says that it's a part Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, part fairy tale. Mm-hmm. But no, it's about a goddamn rock. Yeah, um, and we get some really sick flute music, too. Uh, yes. I Oh, that's totally in my notes. Um, we shoot to Saturday, May 14th, 1988. And two boys are playing somewhere along the Canadian-U.S. border. Um. One's named Jamie Park, the other's named Trevor Johnson, and they totally have this flute music. I mean, you'd, you'd think they're about to encounter a bunch of flying little fairies or something, uh, but instead what they find is a rock, and it's got a bunch of shapes carved on it, like circles and half circles and triangle and some other stuff. Uh, the kids in the reenactment itself are a little bit better actors than the kids in the first segment. And one of them said, when they're speculating about the age, one of them says that maybe that's from eons of years ago. Um, they go back and tell Trevor's dad, who for some reason felt compelled to go take a look at this rock. <clears throat> and... Uh, you know, 
Crystal, I believe he actually says there are no words to express the sort of feelings you get when you see this rock and touch it. Now seeing as the rock is the people's champion. Sure enough, this rock is the most important thing that's ever happened in this family's life. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> the Johnsons were not in good shape. Uh, to quote the mother, monies were not good. Um, despite the fact she was working as a receptionist, he was in prison corrections, but they are still struggling to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And so naturally they do, you know, what is a very reasonable thing to do when you're in that sort of financial difficulty. They decide to open up a shop in the mall. Uh, and it's interesting. They mentioned that it was like a 100 square foot shop, which is. I think it was a thousand square feet. No, 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 no. You're, 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 oh, you're I mean, I'm sorry. Oh, no, yeah, no, it's fine. You're, you are, that figure is right, but for later on. No, th- this, this, their initial uh, decision to try to open a shop in this mall was a hundred square foot shop, which is 10 feet by 10 feet. That's like basically my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, so this is, this seems like it'd be the kind of shop that like you're going in to, uh, s- send Western Union payments mostly if you're going into this place. Um, but yeah, uh, and unsurprisingly, this shop actually made matters worse. And construction was running behind; it was becoming another drain on them. Well, how much shit are you gonna put in a hundred square foot <laughs> shop? What? <laughs> um, you know, I suppose. Did like, they even mention they- what they're selling? What they plan to sell there? Not, not in this particular shop. Um, I mean, I guess if, like, you had a, a space that was narrow but long. So, you know, instead of, like, 10 by 10, we're talking 2.5 by 40 or, or something. Um, uh, you could probably, like, you know, sell comic books in a space like that but yeah it it, it 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 seems so strange but after the rock and the rock will get in the ring and do exactly what he does best and that is layeth the smack it down on your candy ass things changed after the rock they get a call from the owner of the mall who offers them a thousand foot square shop at a re- extremely reduced rate or something and they're like, well, okay, but, you know, it's like, what are we going to sell? Da, da, da. Like, uh, we don't have the, you know, capital, blah, blah, blah. And the, the mall owner's like, we'll take care of the inventory for you. And then three days, and it turns out the inventory's dresses. This becomes a dress shop. Three days after the dress shop opens, they offer the husband the chance to become the manager of the movie theater. And less than a month after that, they offer him the they offer to let him buy the movie theater outright for what must have been a ridiculously low price. And so, like by three months and one day after finding the rock, they've now also opened a candy store. All of this seems to happen way too fast. Yeah, to the point uh, where I think they're kind of bullshitting the timeline. Oh, do you think that that's that's what's going on? No, I think they're bullshitting everything, but I think... Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> specifically how quickly all this happens, I think they may have exaggerated a bit. 
Okay, I was thinking that maybe this was just a situation where real estate and renting just wasn't moving very quickly in this I think community. that's I think that's probably the other factor as well. So. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. Um I I think that was a, a big part of it. Um they br- the show brings in some sort of expert on I don't know, rock mythology or something. His name's Rick McClure. And he says that the symbols cut in the rock are not of American, Native American origin, uh, that they were probably made in the 20th century, and that they have no religious significance or magical powers. And you know what I call that is just some random graffiti on a rock. Like, there's a couple of teenagers, and they're just cutting some, uh, some you know, symbols and shapes into a rock yeah mm-hmm. that's totally that that's that's the explanation i see that's what it has to be that's what it is um but and- is it <laughs> or was it is aliens it ma- <laughs> is it magic or coincidence that's 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 the sort of question that robert stack leaves us off with i don't even i feel like he's trying super hard not to laugh at how ridiculous <laughs> this line right. is that he has to say well, if you watch this segment, you'll notice he has this kind of smirk on his face. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think you're right. Um, you know, but regarding this question, magic or coincidence, my thoughts are this: that stupid goddamn idiots have all the luck. Uh, these people made horrifyingly bad decisions. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, and these people believe that a rock can be magical, maybe. Uh, so I'm pretty, actually, sure this, the- I'm pretty sure this family worships that rock now because they keep going back to it. Dude, yeah, the segment ends with them, like, the whole family by the stream. The kids are just sort of, you know, running around goofing off, but the father's, like, practically caressing the rock. Yeah. Um, but honestly, you know, uh, yeah, these these goddamn idiots have all the luck. They won the life lottery somehow by just being in the right place at the right time. Clearly, like, the mall manager or mall owner was like, shit, we have this thousand foot space and all this inventory. We need people to run this. Uh, Gosh, these people trying to rent out the, you know, the space that used to be occupied by the Western Union kiosk. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're fucked over because of the construction delays. We'll just have them, you know, we'll just let them run the shop, the the shop. And if it's successful, great. And if it's not, you know, it's going to be their head. And then there was an opening at the movie theater. So they (laughs) went ahead and offered the father, the manager position. And somehow like they must have very the movie the mall must have very cheaply come into possession of the uh, movie theater ownership from the, whoever it was before, and so they just was like oh, we'll just sell it to this guy for you know super cheap and we'll still be making a profit. And obviously the movie Willow was doing such gangbuster business in the mall. <laughs> Glad you noticed that, <laughs> Crystal. This was <laughs> I, I I I spent like half an hour after this segment watching uh reviews of willow on cisco and ebert at the movies <laughs> trying to do research because first i was just 
my first first thought was like first I want to make sure that this movie was actually out in theaters at the time that this segment's being portrayed. Yeah, you're doing ca- your due diligence. You caught uh, that one from the 1920s was incorrect. Exactly, but this this appears to be uh, this appears to be maybe you know completely uh, uh, on the mark because Willow was released in 1988. This segment takes place in 1988. Um, and Willow is indeed rated PG and I guess $3 was probably, uh, you know, a standard matinee price for a film in this area at that time. And that's all there is to talk about this segment because there's no such thing as magic rock. Um, well, Robert Stack ends the segment by asking us if it's coincidence or something else and i angrily turned off the episode and said it's definitely coincidence i mean this is like i'm annoyed that the show gave these crackpots the time of day it won't be the first time either no i mean mean, i'm sorry it won't be the last time and it it certainly wasn't the first time because we had the um treasure hunters and Virginia yeah, a while back, but well, though to be fair, at least those treasure hunters literally—I mean, they did—you know—they were searching for something that they thought was out there. Da da da. Um, well, I, I guess I guess these people do believe the rock is magical. Or alternative, are these people who just you know had a good turn of luck and then con- concoct? decided to take it one step further, concoct a, a bullshit story about a magic rock to get on unsolved mysteries so that they could also be famous as well as f- wealthy. Just throwing it out there. Might be a possibility. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm more inclined to believe that they're just stupid idiots who are worshipping a rock. I, th- I think that's what's happening here. No stop. Think- I no stacks, Crystal. No stacks. I, no. I'm giving stacks. this sake that no stacks. I would give it negative stacks if I could, um, just for just. It's insulting to the other cases where someone legitimately died in tragic circumstances. Uh, <laughs> to air this within the same television program, it's obviously time filler. It's not like something they can go and investigate. They can't ask the detective. They can't ask the coroner. I mean, it was a cheap way for them to fill the last six minutes of the show. Right. So fuck them and fuck that stupid family (laughs) and their (laughs) dumb fucking magic rock. And that's what I have to say about that. Well, do we want to move on to a cheerier topic? Um, yes, as you say, while the bullshit is still warm, I would like to move on to this. Yes. Um, what we got, uh, with say this segment is basically just a protracted advertisement for Bob Hopkins books, the intruders and missing time. Oh, you noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, after like the 30th or 40th close up shot of the book's covers, I I was beginning to suspect half my suspicions. Um, it, it's actually interesting that the seg- this is this is our first in any way UFO related segment so far, 
And I feel like it's kind of an experiment mm. that they didn't come out right away and say UFO segment. This was a quote unquote missing time segment that just sort of acted as a backdoor method to get UFOs involved, which I'm not sure, you know, I don't know if at this point the show was still trying to kind of be serious and so forth. I mean, they've <laughs> already had a couple of ghost episodes, but I guess maybe they felt UFOs were a little too kooky. So they, they, they felt the need to sort of wrap that into a, a, a with a bit of camouflage. Um, I mean, the, the intro the intro stack narration, which takes place at some sort of observatory. Uh, yes, he's on the roof of the Griffith Observatory. Griffith Observatory. Yes, which I, I will add, you can see uh, from my house. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, you can't see it very well. It's far away, but you can see the lights on the hill. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I was... I, I'm so glad that you moved to LA. I, 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 I like I like pretending that the move uh, move was based entirely on just doing scouting for this. Oh, stack. it was absolutely. So no, real talk. I went to Union Station the weekend before we get stack, uh, and I didn't plan this obviously, but the weekend before we get stack uh, at Union Station. Um, so I, I, it, it was like Sunday to Sunday and then I was at Griffith, Griffith Observatory, um, not this last weekend, but the weekend before last. And then it showed up in this episode. So it's yeah. like really fresh. Like I'm hitting all the spots. I have to find the place with this fountain though, but I'm sure in my travels, I will come across it and I will know it when I see it. Please, please let us know. I will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The the opening stack, um, at the the stack opening at the observatory, it begins with him saying something like, "Imagine for a moment you go to the corner store for a quick errand. You think you're gone for five minutes, but really three hours have passed." Uh, something vaguely similar happened to me actually just yesterday. Oh, what happened? Um, well, I went down to the corner store to get some milk for my cereal. And as I've told you, uh, well, prior to recording the episode a few days ago or last week or whenever, uh, my, my car is not starting for some reason. Mm. And so I, I decided I'd walk, you know, get some mm. exercise. And based off the distance that the Dollar General is from my house, I mm. figure, okay, so that's going to be like a three-hour three walk, mm. you know, to and back. Uh, but it actually took four hours and like, I get back at 3 PM, like what? This doesn't seem right. I, it feels like I've been, it feels like I just, I left so early. I'm coming back late. Then I realized that like the half hour or 45, five minutes I spent drinking chocolate milk on the front step in front of the dollar general probably ate up most of that time. Um, <clears throat> Robert Matthews, on the other hand, has no chocolate milk excuse. No, but for... he did. He was in front of a market. So, but he was yes, yes, a very. Did you catch the name of that market? I listened to it like three or four times, trying to 
figure out it what was weird it was like bellatrix or something Bell, 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 I, I don't i didn't get the name but they they kept name dropping this market like five or six times which i thought was very strange yeah and it's it's in the um village of new trudo trotted which is a community of cape cod um massachusetts but yes the robert matthews incident takes place October 1st, 1966. He's a Air Force uh, for private first class who is <clears throat> uh, has just arrived via bus and he's dropped off in front of the market. And I guess the procedure for reporting on base <laughs> at this particular Air Force base is to be dropped off in front of the corner market mm-hmm. and use the payphone to make a call to the base that has to be picked up. Um, it's a very interesting scheme. And uh, so he, he goes ahead and he makes the call. And very shortly thereafter, he, spot, he spots lights in the sky. And they're of that triangular pattern that sometimes people who see UFOs report. So he goes back to the the payphone to call again to, I guess, really desperately ask for someone to come pick him up because I guess he's a little weirded out by the way these this this triangular set of lights is flying around over the sky, and he already gets we get some indication that something's arrived because the Air Force base is asking him if he's already been been there this whole time. From his perspective, no more than about four minutes have passed by but really from the perspective of the base uh basically a full hour has gone you ever experienced a period of missing time and so if they send a vehicle to pick him up uh he's interrogated by air force personnel personnel who are in civilian clothes uh and frankly you know if I was a member of any of the branches of the United States Armed Forces. If a superior officer was interrogating me in a Hawaiian shirt, I'm not <laughs> sure I would take that as seriously as if they were in their dress uniform. But, um, and I kind of, I don't know about you. Do you, did you get the feeling that them being in civilian clothes, that they were trying to imply that, there was some sort of Air Force interest in potential UFO aspect of this? Or was this just the guys on the base got woke up and didn't change into uniform? That's a good question. I don't think they're there yet with the implications of some kind of government collusion or cover-up. I don't think they're making that argument yet. Okay, so this is just another laziness. Yeah, uh, I think this was just an oversight. Yeah. Of yeah. of how to dress their extras. Right. Well, you know, I We'll dock I, them we'll dock them one reenactment point for this one. Right. Okay. Damn. Um then this this reenactment was already gonna get a, a pretty low score for me, so <laughs> uh yeah. I have well, you know, for me, like the fact that at least this was in Massachusetts, my my initial worry because I didn't catch where exactly it was happening at first. So when they dropped them off in front of the corner store, you know, Robert is um, from Philadelphia, PA, born and raised. 
Um, and he's African-American. And at first, when I was watching this segment, I thought he was being dropped off in like somewhere like a small town in a more rural southern part of the country in the mm-hmm. mid-60s. And I was like, man, oh, that would be... Yeah, good, good luck out there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so he's interrogated by guys one of whom is wearing a hawaiian shirt trying to figure out what the hell he was doing for an hour when you ever had the suspicion that you've been abducted by aliens because they they sent a vehicle to go pick him up the vehicle went to the corner store didn't see him the driver from you know his jeep yells his name a bunch of times and then leaves so i don't know i guess maybe they're trying to figure out whether he was boozing or whatever um and this leads us to our first introduction to Bud Hopkins, um, whose qualifications, I should point out, is he, he's an artist who once saw you, an UFO with some friends, and subsequently that inspired him to become what Unsolved Mysteries refers to as a UFO expert. Um, he's written a couple of books, Missing Time and The Intruders, already mentioned. And he proceeds to give, you know, a bit of background information on Missing Time, what it is. I'm sure most of our listeners are basically familiar. The thing he points out is that Missing Time doesn't necessarily, it doesn't involve suddenly finding yourself somewhere else with this huge gap of, unaccounted for time and you're trying to figure out what's happened it's for from the people who experience it it's supposed to be pretty seamless mm-hmm. like from from mr matthew's perspective he made the phone call he saw the lights he immediately ran back to the phone to make another phone call he didn't even realize anything you know anything was amiss until well after the fact when you had these third-party witnesses um can so, i can i uh, interject here on our first, first major point of contention i have with this <laughs> yes i would be willing to bet that most people who are listening to this podcast have some sort of experience with uh, with a large chunk of time being or even a small chunk of time being missing from their day to day that they just can't recall or it jumping from one you know jumping from being seven fifteen in the morning to suddenly it's seven thirty, and you don't know what happened the last 15 minutes and now you're late for work <laughs> i think i have about 15 minutes of missing time on the toilet every morning like i don't know I, time skips ahead i can't account for uh what i was doing or even what i was thinking i have no memory of that time um i think <laughs> if i I didn't look this up, but my explanation for missing time is this. You can either be very tired, and as we know, when you're very tired, your your cognition is not very good. So you can have sort of, it could seem like time skipping around, like um, you won't, your short-term memory is definitively affected by being tired. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is your brain can only process so much input at one time. So sometimes it just, even if you're well-rested, if you have a lot of stimuli coming at you, you're not going to be able to process all of it. So you're going to remember some things and not others. Uh, You're not going to record all of that information that's coming at you. So 
I think having missing time, as it is explained by Bud Hopkins, is incredibly common. And I would say most people have experienced it just in their day to day of having some chunk of time they can't remember and they don't know what they were doing um, just from being too tired or or just having too many things going on. So. Okay, well, I mean, that sounds like a very valid criticism of Mr. Hopkins bullshittery. Yeah. Uh, But I also kind of feel like maybe you're also creating a little insurance policy for yourself at work. Uh, so that if you're ever like 15 minutes late, if, if you're, if you're ever 15 minutes late for work, your boss having heard this podcast will know that like occasionally in the morning you experience like 15 minutes of time that just zones out and you, you you're suddenly you're late for work. Yes. If uh, I that's... ever make the mistake of telling the people that I work with, whatever it is I do outside of work, <laughs> including make this podcast, which they don't know exists. Um, yeah, I guess I would have, uh, that would be a valid explanation or I would deserve whatever repercussions were coming my way. So, (laughs) yes. Um, so anyway, excuses for tardiness at work aside, um, Bud Hopkins ends up intruding on this story in another way where we catch up with Robert Matthews about 20 years later, he's on vacation and he's doing that horrible mistake that some people do when they're on vacation where they try to buy a book to read when they're already on vacation mm. and they just they go into the you know whatever nearby convenience store and there's a bunch of paperbacks on a rotating circular rack <laughs> just bring a book with you one that you know you're interested in rather than play the russian roulette of is there even going to be anything remotely what I'm interested in on this rack? Well, I think Robert Matthews may have hit the jackpot. Oh, yeah, no, no. He, he hit the pater because he came across a copy of The Intruders, which features one of the stereotypical Roswell gray sort of depictions of an alien. And apparently in his youth as a small child, he has this memory of a being where... Um, Matthews has this, uh, he, he has this memory from when he was eight years old of waking up. There was this being that was green and glowing, mm-hmm. uh, his room, which is interesting. I, I don't really hear much mention of like Roswell Gray's glowing. Um, but I think it was, I, I think it was radioactive Mr. Burns. Radioactive Mr. Burns. Yeah. Nice. Nice crystal. <laughs> the, the, the that 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 totally that totally redeems you for your earlier uh, mistake. Um, yeah, so he, he couldn't, and it kind of seems like this might be a sleep paralysis thing because he mm. couldn't move, couldn't mm. speak. Um, and I guess this is something that's haunted him for a long time until he saw the cover of the Intruders and he realized, my God, that's what was in my room. So he, he picked it up. I guess he probably must have breezed through it that entire vacation. I mean, I, I never actually get a whole book read in a vacation. Uh, I'm lucky if I, I reach chapter two. Um, so we get subsequently, and I want to get your, your opinion on this. Are we watching a actual hypnosis session between Hopkins and Matthews or a reenactment 
of their hypnosis session. It's so convincing to me because they seem like folks that are hypnotized that I think it's actually I think it's it's either the actual initial hypnosis section or session. What did I just say? Hypnosis section. (laughs) What? Let me tell you, based off what some of the obsessions of uh, Mr. Hopkins are. Have you ever found a mental implant in your body? If if these were sex sessions, I would not be surprised. Have you checked everywhere? Good creep. Because he has a fixation on sexual reproduction and genitalia my word yeah um yes bud hopkins and his obsessive obsession secession hypnosis secessions so we have a little hypnosis secession with a couple of folks yes uh in which in this session god damn it you got uh, (laughs) (laughs) um Okay, so when they're doing the hypnosis thing, uh, Matthews proceeds to recreate allegedly what happened during that hour he that he lost in front of the store. The UFO comes and it starts hovering above the parking lot. It lowers down. Light comes out of it. A ramp appears. Matthews, for some goddamn reason, walks up the ramp into the UFO where there are, what, four beings that are seated. Uh, Apparently, it looks like a very sterile, white, clinical doctor sort of situation. Matthews sits down. He has this memory of his shoes being off as well as his shirt. And the aliens come and they touch his chest, which is what happened when he was a little kid with the bean in in his bedroom. Um, Yeah, Bob, Bud Hopkins likes to talk about how these aliens, they'll take body samples, you know, a little bit of skin, saliva, but most importantly of all, reproductive fluids. Yeah, they're just just a bunch of jizz fiends is what I'm taking away from the story. Gross. Gross aliens. Gross. Well, Hopkins' uh, conjecture is that they they're having reproductive troubles or something, and so they're using uh, they're they're using our reproductive material to help them uh, uh, solve this, I guess. Mm. But now, also, Hopkins like around this time in the segment, doesn't he say something like hypnosis is is a highly effective means of uh, retrieving lost memories? Yes, he does. Oh, really? Isn't that something that's been pretty much discredited now um not only that what what we tend to use hypnosis for if anything these days is it's a a you become relaxed and you're in a highly suggestive state so not only can you you are not recovering memories you can be manipulated into saying things that aren't true which would probably explain why all these people in the, these hypnosis uh, support groups that Hopkins is putting together uh-huh. are all having the exact same experience. Uh-huh. <laughs> all, of it, all of it involving uh, the human reproductive system and genitalia. Uh, God, he's really obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, to be fair, the aliens are really obsessed with it. Well, he's yeah, just yeah. telling us that. Right. And, and, you know, it's funny, like, when I watched this segment 
the first time and the second time through, I kept thinking back to some stuff I've recently read or whatnot where I was reading this, but the number of reported like UFO sightings in the last 10 or 15 years has plummeted dramatically. Huh. At least like the very close encounter sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is attributed to the proliferation of cameras and video recording devices in everyone's phone. Because whereas maybe back in the 70s, you could say a UFO landed in my backyard or landed in the parking lot of the corner store, as Mr. Matthews saw. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, people are like, well, of course, all, all we have is the eyewitness testimony. We can't expect them to have some sort of video recording device on them, but now we do. So people like the more the more outrageous stories along those lines people just aren't telling anymore because it's increasingly implausible that you can get away with that story and i kind of feel something else i was reading is they talk about how if you go back 50 60 years ago the descriptions of aliens uh in these sort of encounters are supposed to have like varied wildly, right? All mm-hmm. sorts of different, you know, we not just the Roswell Grays, we got reptiles, we got insects, we got all sorts of stuff. And over the course of like half a century, they've just slowly like all been displaced and it's all now just Roswell Grays. Well, it's because of the, the gray lobby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's probably just because of the X-Files and, and Bud Hopkins, honestly. They put the whammy on. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say, um, Bob, Bud Hopkins, like, peop, like one of the things is, but yeah, actually, you're, you're sort of spot on from what I'm reading, is just media. Like, they pick up on certain things. They, you know, the images of the Roswell Grays get, start to get proliferated through, through media. And before you know it, like, everyone who's being put under hypnosis... And being suggested that they're seeing aliens, they they're they're seeing the aliens that they see on TV all the time. Yes. And, and so we got Bud Ho- and we got Bud Hopkins going around telling everyone exactly what sort of aliens they're <laughs> they're seeing and where on the doll they touch them. Um. So, yeah. Um. We- I'd I'd also like to discuss. There's a psychologist that they bring in, who- Susan. Fox? Yeah, who's who's basically vouching for all these ordinary people that have had these extraordinary experiences, saying that they're very trustworthy and whatnot. Um, and then they bring up, she brings up some point about how a lot of the women who have had these experiences have inordin- inordinate uh, occurrences of things like cervical cancer, uh, ovarian cancer, um, ovarian cysts. Um, twisted fallopian tubes um, and she's like it's just it's with all of these women that have had these experiences they've had these issues yeah the problem with that is all of those things are incredibly common <laughs> so I mean just the I mean between between the hypnosis se- sessions and then bringing in this psychologist uh, and I'm putting that in quotes to basically just bring in the confirmation bias of saying that these people are special, that they have this thing in common, that the you know perhaps the reasons they're having these reproductive uh, cancers and other issues is because they've had these experiences. Um, you know, it's tying a bunch of things together that probably aren't correlated at all. 
So, you know, I they I think by bringing her in and not just having Bud Hopkins, the hypnotist support group guy, um, <laughs> it really legitimizes more of this just total bullshit that they're throwing out. So, right, Susan Fox even in vouching for one of these people's character uses the uh, term "totally legit." Yeah, which I found to be you know the the most. Uh, undermining of her uh, status as a psychologist. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Like, it, validate everything that was going on. Um, and actually, for me, I have to admit, I was slightly distracted during the hypnosis support group because if you pay really close attention, one of the people in it really kind of looks like what John Waters would look like if he played <laughs> Albert Einstein in a movie. <laughs> you should go back and skip the support group and tell me if I am not. I, I'll take another look, but, you know, uh, let's make that film happen immediately. <laughs> I'm game, and I'm sure John Waters is game. He's game for everything. Uh, I, I want an extreme, campy version of coming up with the theory of relativity. <laughs> yeah. Just make it flamboyant as hell. That's what I want. Yeah. Precisely. Uh, uh, but and then we got a, a supplementary uh, segment, uh, supplementary part to this segment, and it's interesting. This is, I don't recall. Do you? Have you seen any of the segments so far where, like, halfway through they actually had a commercial break and then it comes back with Robert Stack? Again? No, I haven't. I re- and I noticed and I made a note that that happened. Well, so, well, you know, this was like a really long segment. I mm-hmm. think this is 50% of the episode. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's about to be 75% of our episode. Wrap this up relatively quickly because all we got left is. One of these missing time people is Christine, Christina Florence, mm-hmm. yeah, um, who relates a story about when she was 17 years old. Her mother and her sister and herself were traveling t- through the Mojave Desert to get to San Francisco, and their car breaks down breaks down near Barstow, California. I guess it just overheats, mm-hmm. so they make it to a park or a rest stop, uh, sort of spot and you know you know pretty much it unfolds how do you expect the mother goes off to get some water for the car from the car some strange some strange light or something appears uh outside the car the kids get outside they see it they go back in the car all of a sudden next thing they know they're laying on a blanket in the grass of the uh park no idea how they got there Eventually, their mother returns, and they drive like hell, quote-unquote. Um, you know, uh, honestly, the thing that was more interesting for me than any of that was when the mother goes off to get water for the car. Did you catch that she explicitly instructs her children to lock the doors and roll up the window all the way? Uh, I didn't notice that, but that's a good way to get some baked kids in your car yeah. and bar style. Yeah. Um, that, that struck me as an extraordinarily dangerous thing to have your kids do. Well, you know, it was the 80s. And that's true. Or that's the true. 70s, probably, in this case. And that's just it's what you did. That's how you preserve your children. Yeah, you know, I have Effectively. no memory. I have no memory of ever being in a car seat or a booster seat. No, at- me neither. 
Yeah. Yeah, I know that I probably was when I was very young, but it was definitely in the front seat of the car because we didn't have airbags back then, so it wasn't an issue. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so hypnosis with Christina reveals that during that uh, incident, she ended up being taken into a UFO. She was on a table. It was a spherical room. Only this spherical room had dials literally on every space available. Uh, a floating screen that showed what they were examining on her body just sort of like would float around up and down her body. She was apparently wearing a rubber diaper too. <laughs> uh, and this is an account that Susan Fox considers totally legit. Uh, and this segment basically just ends probably for me, this is the perfect ending is when, uh, but hot Hopkins, he's makes, I, I'm not, I hope you caught it. He makes some comment about how the, the proper scientific community is on the sidelines, uh, with this phenomenon. And that unfortunately it's leaving it up to people like him, which in this case, I'm in total agreement with Mr. Hopkins. <laughs> it is unfortunate that it's being left in the hands <laughs> like him. Um, I I totally agree, but I also think there isn't room in his mind that perhaps the legitimate scientific community did consider this, and then <laughs> they said this is a big fat nothing burger, right? And moved on, and yeah. have moved on. <laughs> because to this day as far as i know there's no legitimate scientific study to um missing time and being abducted now uh, to to the point where i've been like really critical of uh these people i do want to say i think i believe them and i think i think they they are not lying i think they are being truthful and and what they think happened to them but I also know that they're, the, you know, the human mind is a very fragile thing and it can be toyed with and it can be messed with. And certainly if you've ever experienced some sort of really terrible trauma in your life, you know, you can kind of infill details and gloss over things and make things seem like they were something else. And so I think these people have experienced some kind of trauma and this solution was presented to them while they were in a highly suggestible state therefore they believe that they've been abducted by aliens so i don't want to make them sound like incredulous or like they're lying for attention because i don't think that's what's happening at all i think they've just sort of glommed on to an explanation that was being offered to them you're like the scully of our i'm show. absolutely the scully <laughs> but you're not but you're kind of the scully too you're not like the molder you're not yeah like, yeah I yeah, no, I unlike Fox Motor, I just don't believe something because I want it to be true. Yeah. <laughs> um, he 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 was he was a little, you know, he was not too discerning with uh like uh, god. I mean, whatever. He was also kind of a dick. So He was. Guys, he go was. back and watch The X-Files. It's a good show, but he's kind of a dick. Yeah. Uh, but you know what's not bad? What's that? Uh, our various social media presence <laughs> presences. Oh yeah, uh, we should. Uh, yeah, well, we're on Twitter. 
we, we have a very lively Twitter community. I, I think we have one of the best Twitter communities. It's we got the, it's believe me, you've never seen anything like that. People are talking about it. It's the best. Yeah. It's the greatest. The we most also have luxurious <laughs> Twitter community. <laughs> we. We also have a, a Facebook page, which sucks because I'm the one who, who's maintaining it. Uh, so if you want to contact us by either of those or at Gmail, which a few people have sent us emails as well, our our common go by is at Reenacted Pod. And um, re- a reminder: if you go to iTunes and leave yes. us a five star review. We're we're doing a contest so once we get to 20 five star reviews, we're going to pull a name from a hat and whoever that is will announce on the pod and we will send you a autographed gift. Yes. Uh, what what was our criteria like you had to like take a screenshot or leave your first Leave your name, right? Your first yeah, name. Yeah, leave your real first name, and then we'll announce yeah. it on the pod. And then if that's you and you want the thing, you got to contact us. Yes. Okay. 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 Uh, should we wow. uh, should we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Uh, I, I think we we've already tarnished our reputations <laughs> badly enough. Um, so for every mystery. There is someone, somewhere, who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you.